Oh, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to Truck Tech here on FreightWaves TV. I am Alan Adler, the Midwest Bureau Chief for FreightWaves. I am uh, thrilled that we're going to have a little prediction work doing with us today. Uh, Sam Abu El Samid is with us from Guidehouse Insights. And Sam and I will be talking about what to expect this year in trucking mobility, uh, as well as uh, whether we are able to see some growth in some of these areas like electrification. We'll get to that in a minute, but first a few headlines. It's another day and we have yet another building block announcement from Nikola on its fuel cell and, and uh, hydrogen ambitions. Um, they're actually going to make more news later today after our show, but for now they're announcing that uh, 15 of the fuel cell trucks that you see there um, are going to be delivered to Biagi Brothers uh, in the fourth quarter this year. Now, the fuel cell, uh, uh, hydrogen fuel cell truck at Nikola is the second product following the very similar uh, battery electric uh, tray uh, truck that uh, they started production on last year and have been doing some deliveries of. Um, this is on target for them in terms of what they said they would be able to do. Um, they're also working very closely now to try to get something happening on the hydrogen production side. They've got a hydrogen hub that they've announced in Arizona. Uh, they also have some stations in California. We'll see how all this plays out. But uh, one of the things to watch for, of course, is gonna be just how expensive will these trucks be? Um, Nikola has said that because of California incentives and the uh, Inflation Reduction Act incentives, that these trucks could go for 40 to 70% less than sticker uh, in, in terms of a purchase price. Uh, once those incentives are figured in. So count on incentives being a big part of this. Um, Nikola also has announced uh, yesterday uh, a deal, or at least an intent, with, uh, uh, let me say this right, it's Fortescue, uh, which is a maker of uh, green hydrogen, green hydrogen being zero emission hydrogen that doesn't come from natural gas, uh, in terms of kind of a, a way to come up with a to a fuel that will allow them to do it with zero emissions, just like they, they've planned all along. A lot of the hydrogen today does have a carbon footprint because, like I say, it comes off of natural gas, um, a so-called gray hydrogen. But getting to green hydrogen is the goal, and uh, this is just the latest announcement they've made. Um, also interesting coming out of yesterday's announcement at PACAR, of their really blockbuster earnings in the fourth quarter was some commentary on the call with the uh, with CEO Preston Fate and his executive team about electric trucks. Um, PACAR, which is the uh, parent of Peterbilt and Kenworth, as well as DAF Trucks in Europe, has, has made it pretty clear that they think uh, diesel, clean diesel, will continue to be the fuel of, of the near future for trucking, maybe even the midterm. Uh, they're into electric trucks. They have nine different models uh, available at this point, but they think that the that the sales are going to be in the hundreds of trucks per year for a while. It's not going to be something that is really going to take off. Now, what was interesting, it was kind of uh, just sort of a comment that came up yesterday about fuel cell trucks, that they were asked about uh, continuing some work that they've done with, uh, with Toyota on fuel cells. And the original trucks that you see here were uh, put on um, – uh, put into the ports of Los Angeles, um, basically with two Toyota Mirai passenger car fuel cell stacks 
uh, lashed together to run the trucks. They did a good job. They've now been pretty much taken out of service. Um, there's a second version coming. But the thing that you should be watching for now is Toyota is building a heavy-duty fuel cell stack in Kentucky starting this year. Watch and see if Packard isn't one of the first customers for that. Okay, so let's bring on uh, Sam, uh, Sam Abu El Samid. Sam, I've been saying your name wrong all these years. You never once corrected me. So I thank you for that. We're going to get it right from now on. I promise you that. But uh, great to have you here, Sam. But uh, it's uh, we've been working together off and on over the years back at General Motors, and and uh, you've been a a regular uh, person in terms of helping us get some of these stories posted with some with some real good perspective that you bring, and and uh, really glad to have you here. Glad to be with you today, Alan. Yeah, well, listen, it's just going to be two of us. We were hoping to have Angie Lindstrom from S&P Global, but something apparently happened, so we're just going to take up all the time, you and me, buddy. Um, that's probably stuck in do. the snow and, somewhere. And that's okay, because <laughs> what's that? I said he's probably stuck in the snow somewhere. He, he could be. He, he he lives out in Colorado, so there's a good bit of that. A good bit of that. Uh, we have it here today in Michigan as well, as, as I think you know. Listen, um, I wanted to ask you before we get started, though, Sam, you've been around. Give us a little background on, I mean, you have a fascinating background of, in your own right. Uh, and I'd like you to maybe just tell tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, so I'm an engineer by training. I, I graduated with a mechanical engineering degree in 1990, spent 17 years in the auto industry uh, working as a product development engineer. Um, then transitioned to being a full-time journalist for, uh, for a number of years, uh, then did a stint on the dark side, um, working in uh, communications uh, with you. Um, and then uh, uh, from there, I transitioned about eight and a half years ago to being uh, a tech industry technology analyst uh, with what was then Navigant Research, now Guidehouse Insights, uh, covering um, emerging technologies uh, in the transportation sector. Uh, including automated driving, alternative fuels uh, like um, fuel cells, hydro, or, um, electrification, uh, natural gas, and so on, uh, connected vehicles, uh, mobility services, you name it, uh, pretty much everything that's interesting in transportation. Well, and I think the perspective that you bring is is that you are an engineer, which means you can geek out, I guess, with the best of them. But that's not really what I've noticed you being able to do. I've, I've noticed that when we've called you and you are one of the first calls on some of these stories for perspective, what we find out is that uh, uh, you were able to put it in pretty simple layman terms. And, and that's what makes, uh, quite honestly, you very appealing because you talk like a regular person, but I think your knowledge is way deeper. <laughs> um, I've been at events with you where you get pretty deep into stuff and it's like, oh, I got to wait for him to come back. <laughs> but uh, I think anyway, that, that, that's, I, that's one of the things I really try to do is, is try to translate engineering language into something that the rest of the world can understand. Well, you do a good job of it. I'll tell you that. And, and you know, you're we've been uh, we've been around each other for a long time. So I, I asked you before you came on today to send me some predictions for the year for what you see coming. And I know that you uh, operate both in the car or passenger car and truck world. But uh, I wanted to actually before we get to the predictions, I want to ask you about something that you wrote recently and sort of get an update on that. You, you put out some predictions uh, around sort of the the leaders, I think, is the best way to think of it in, in Class A truck autonomy. Uh, you listed Waymo, Aurora, and Too Simple. Why don't you give us a little update on where you see that now? 
Yeah. So um, these leaderboard reports are something that we do at GuideHouse um, from time to time on a, a variety of different technology areas. Um, and uh, this past year, we published our first leaderboard on the autonomous trucking space. Um, and what we do when, when we're looking at that is we, we try to take a holistic view of which companies are most likely to succeed in whichever sector we're taking a look at. Um, and so we're looking at their technology, uh, their partners, um, you know, their uh, go-to-market strategy, uh, the whole spectrum of what they're doing, uh, rather than just one single piece of it, you know, to try to gauge how ready they are to, to commercialize the technology. Um, obviously, uh, at the time uh, when I wrote that report uh, and we published that, that was before uh, a lot of uh, rather negative news about Too Simple came out. Um, which, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the thing about our leaderboards are always a snapshot in time of the information that's available at that time. Uh, and so, uh, if, if I had written that a few months later, um, probably would have had a slightly different result. I think, uh, too simple, probably wouldn't have been quite up as high on that list. Uh, we, we learned of some challenges they were having, uh, with, uh, their operations in China, um, and, uh, their, um, the end of their partnership with Navistar to develop a truck platform to incorporate their automated driving technology on, um, as well as uh, some other issues that they were having. Yeah, lots of boardroom drama, which you know we wrote about. We don't need to get into that here. I am curious, though, uh, from a technology standpoint on Too Simple, if you still see them in that uh, sort of survivor group, uh, uh, thriver group, whatever you want to call it, um, and do you see, I, I know you've said, you've told me before that you really feel uh, companies uh, need to have uh, a partnership or at least an entree into uh, an OEM to be successful. All of the three that were in your snapshot did at the time, and, and two of them still do. Um, but we've got some other companies. We seem to be writing a lot about Kodiak Robotics these days because they continue to do interesting things, but they don't have an OEM uh, partner per se. Um, does that, does that limit them in some way, Sam? Uh, you know, I think Kodiak is doing some really interesting things, you know, their approach to, with their design of having, uh, essentially what they call a sensor pod. Uh, so having the entire mirror assembly, the outside mirror assembly, uh, integrated with all of the sensors in that mirror assembly and being able, to, uh, designing it so that that can be attached to the vehicle and then if it needs to be serviced, if there's a problem with one or more of the sensors, they can remove that entire pod, put on another one, and then service that sensor pod um, offline uh, while the vehicle gets back into service fairly quickly. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really interesting approach. It still requires uh, a degree of integration with the vehicle, though, uh, <clears throat> because you still, you still have to install the compute platform in there somewhere uh, inside the vehicle. Uh, you have to integrate all that with the actuators for the, the powertrain, the braking system, the steering. Um, and so even though they're, they've, they've got a very interesting solution for the sensing component, um, there, there's still a, a level of um, hardware integration that's required that I think the types of partnerships that Waymo and PACCAR uh, and, and previously Too Simple had with OEMs to develop uh, a version of the vehicle that basically makes 
makes it plug and play to install the automated driving system, um, makes it a lot easier to implement that. And then when a customer decides that they want a vehicle with, with one of these automated driving systems on it, they can just go to their, their OEM of choice, order that vehicle, and have it line fit with all that equipment on there so that it doesn't have to be retrofitted afterwards. Right. And, and do you see the opportunity for, uh, and, and I want to move into our predictions here pretty soon, but do you see the, the opportunity then for the Kodiaks, the Embark, some of these guys to be able to sort of come up with a critical mass to uh, sort of get the OEMs to, to, you know, handle their stuff too? I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely one of those things that, uh, you know, Don Burnett at Kodiak, for example, told me that, you know, he said, I would presume to tell Packard what to do. But I would think that if I brought business to them, they would want to have that business for, you know, their uh, integrated, uh, or, you know, redundant chassis. Um, so so maybe it's not a hurdle. Um, you know, I, I think that longer term, it, it will probably be less of a hurdle, um, you know, because one of the things that we're seeing is most of these truck manufacturers are designing um, versions of their trucks um, in sort of a generic AV ready form. Uh, you know, we first saw this happen in the light duty space um, several years ago with what was then Fiat Chrysler after uh, Waymo first went to them to buy a fleet of Pacificas to use at, for their test fleet. Um, FCA worked with the, the Waymo engineers to do the hardware integration. They developed a custom version of the wiring harness and a number of other components that they installed on the assembly line where they build the uh, the Pacificas, and then they subsequently did a generic version of that and sold, offered uh, to AV companies an AV-ready version of that of that van. Toyota d- offers a similar thing now with their Sienna minivans, the Sienna Autonomous, um, and I think truck manufacturers are moving in that same direction. Freightliner, um, Daimler truck has um, they're they're developing a uh, an AV-ready version of their truck that um, Waymo is going to be using, uh, but also they're using it uh, with their own torque robotics team uh, that is developing their own ADS system that, that Daimler owns. Uh, and I think we'll see other truck OEMs doing following the same kind of pattern. And if they do that, uh, then I think you know, eventually it'll be possible for um, customers to choose if they want a Kodiak robotics system for it to be relatively straightforward to integrate that. But in the near term, you know, they, they still have to work. They still have to work on modifying the trucks uh, to impl- to integrate uh, the Kodiak robotic system in there, or or other some of the other systems that don't have specific OEM partners. Sure. Well, that's a great explanation. I think in in one sense we we have covered a, a good part of one of your predictions, and that is that. Uh, uh, we, we may see some consolidation. I want to talk more about this, but we may see some consolidation of the auto- uh, automated trucking sector um, as it moves towards uh, driver out commercial deployments in 2024. Um, I don't think you're out in the limb with that one, but let's hear your thinking. Yeah, uh, and, you know, we've long felt that um, both you know, across the spectrum from light duty to heavy duty vehicles, that the number of companies that ultimately offer commercialized automated driving systems um, will reduce dramatically. I mean, you know, it's at, a, at one point, you know, we certainly had, you know, close to, I think, close to 100 different companies globally. Uh, there's fewer now. Um, and there will be fewer still going forward. We've seen a number over the, over the years already go away, go out of business or get acquired uh, by other companies. Um, you know, we saw 
for example, Uber and Lyft get out of that business. Uber uh, basically gave their uh, advanced technologies group to Aurora. Uh, Lyft sold off their level five group to Toyota. Um, We've seen uh, others get acquired. Uh, Starsky Robotics uh, went under uh, a few years back. Uh, They were focused on trucking. And so I think we will see some of the players that haven't gained a lot of commercial traction uh, start to fade away, particularly over the next couple of years uh, if we continue to have um, you know, a tight capital market. Uh, you know, over the last year, it's become much more difficult for these companies to raise new capital, uh, which they need to continue funding their R&D, building out their development fleets, and eventually commercializing. Um, and you know, as interest rates have gone up, the stock market's gone down, VC fund, VCs uh, have become uh, less enamored with the automated driving space than they were a few years ago. Uh, they're no longer putting money into the space. So um, I think some of these companies that are they're eventually just going to run out of cash and they're going to have to either sell out or just turn off the lights. Uh, so we, we, we'll definitely see some of these companies go away. Yeah, I think we've been writing that now for a while that uh, consolidation is coming. We're not going to pick winners and losers. Um, you took a whack at that. Uh, start of this segment. Uh, but I think, I think in a, in a sense, you, you're absolutely right. There, there's not a lot of money. Uh, one of the people who's very happy that they didn't go public, uh, either through SPAC or IPO, is again Kodiak. They said, you know, when you, when you go that route, when you go public, that should be your last capital raise. And I, I think what we're finding now is that it's taking some of these companies uh, another swing at the, at, the, at the gate to try to get money there's some very creative and maybe risky ways that they're doing it. So anyway, you had a couple more predictions on your list. Um, why don't we take a look at the fuel cells? Because we talked about that at the top of the show. Uh, where are you on fuel cells this year? I, you know, I'm still fairly bullish on fuel cells, for, particularly for long-haul trucking. I, I think that there's some really good applications for fuel cell technology. Um, you know, long, you know batteries uh, still are problematic for long haul trucks. You know, they can work for some applications, um, <clears throat> but because of the weight of batteries, um, the cost of batteries, uh, it, it's challenging to you know, do, for example, cross country routes uh, with battery powered tractors. Uh, and, but fuel cells, if, if you can build out the infrastructure and for all the flaws you know, of what happened with Nikola and their launch, their actual strategy that they laid out at the beginning actually made a lot of sense. Uh, you know, of building out, gradually building out a network of fueling stations, ideally uh, locations where you've got a lot of traffic, and also where you can hopefully generate the hydrogen on site rather than transporting it uh, to that location, um, and then building out that that network and gradually expanding where those trucks can operate. Um, and the the uh, the the range that's possible, the refueling times that's possible with um, with fuel cell trucks versus even the fastest charging systems, even with a megawatt charging system, it's still going to take you longer, and you're still going to have payload limitations with a battery powered system. Now, for um, local regional trucking, that's a very different story. Um, there. Battery, uh, battery-powered trucks can work really well, and, and we're already seeing them uh, being deployed in some applications. You know, and you can you can have a, a battery-powered truck with 300, 350 miles of range, 
that is very usable for a lot of applications. Sure. Well, it's it's interesting that 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 you mentioned. You know, I think that when Nicholas started, they said seven hundred uh, uh, hydrogen stations. They were going to be about seventeen million dollars each. Um, they're now down to sixty, which seems like a maybe a more reasonable number. A uh, lot of activity in the sort of acquiring the hydrogen. We talked about that at the top of the show. Um, but it does seem that they're making the moves, and goodness knows everything gets. Uh, you know, sometimes a side eye uh, for, for Nikola because of the problems they've had, but they do seem to be proceeding along the lines of doing what they said today. They said, you know, fifteen trucks are going to Biagi Brothers. That's a been a test to, a test around in Napa that they've used for a long time, and they've been driving those trucks since uh, you know early twenty twenty two. So you know, it does seem like you know, as the Chinese phrase "ibu ibu" goes, they're making step by step. They're getting closer. So. That's interesting. You also have um, you had one other prediction for us, and it does talk about uh, battery electric. Um, you sort of alluded to it, but but why don't you talk about number one on on your list there? Yeah, so I I, I mentioned you know um, growing use of battery electric trucks uh, in that those local and regional applications, uh, day cabs, uh, you know, and op- you know where they're operating within uh, a ra- you know a range of you know. 250 to 300 miles. Uh, I think that, you know, in those kinds of applications, um, very often, you know, those trucks um, don't need to be running 20, 24 hours a day. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, they they will have a longer idle period um, and some, some downtime during the course of the day. Um, so those can be reasonably charged, you know, within the, the use case that they have. Um, and I think that, you know, we're, we're already starting to see some test deployments of those. You've got a number of manufacturers that are offering those types of trucks, certainly in Europe. Uh, we're starting to see them here in North America. Uh, and I, I think that we will we'll see more of those early deployments of those trucks, uh, like the uh, Freightliner E-Cascadias and, and uh, some of the other options that are out there, uh, Volvos out there. I think we'll see more of those hitting the roads this year and, and into 2024. Yeah, I know we've. It was interesting that um, we didn't write it, but it's interesting that here in Michigan, uh, Meyer, which is a big uh, grocery uh, ha- uh, operation, is using them for cold weather testing, not campus casing kind of cold weather testing, but mm-hmm. you know just to see what happens to the to to the battery life. Uh, you know, in, in in short haul testing, they've had a couple of the E Cascadias, uh, you know, running that way, and of course. Michigan winters aren't aren't horrible always, but uh, they can be cold and they can be snowy, right? And so, you know, it's interesting that that they have that going on uh, where we see, again, you know, with the autonomy, uh, you see everything kind of in the southern third of the U.S. because they need the good weather. They can't, they're not quite ready. I think Embark did a, a test run in, in in snow, but but the autonomous trucks, quite honestly, you know, have to stick to the south right now because they really can't put up with the... Uh, the changes in, in in weather and so forth. Sam, I want to kind of wrap up with you here on, on on this question, and that is, as you look at the year to come, is this a year where we will see steady progress, big progress, or little progress in in all the areas we've been talking about? Yes, <laughs> a bit of all <laughs> of the above. Open ended question. There you go. Huh? Yeah. No. I, I mean, you know, I mean, that's this is typical in engineering. You know, from Every once in a while, you have some big progress. You'll have a big step. You know, there's some kind of breakthrough. Uh, but you know, it's mostly going to be 
you know, incremental steps, you know, gradually moving in the, hopefully in the right direction. Um, so, you know, most, mostly, you know, steady progress, you know, slower in some cases, a little faster in other cases. Uh, but, but moving forward as users, fleet operators, um, and manufacturers become more comfortable with these various technologies, validate that they can work for figure out what what use cases they can work in and work best in uh, initially, start getting those out there into the field, uh, start getting some of the benefits of that, whether it's operating costs or uh, meeting sustainability goals um, or uh, or for safety reasons, and um, then gradually expanding the scope of those use cases to more and more areas. Sure. Well, good stuff. Um, good discussion. Sam, thanks so much for coming on. You, you carried the day for us. I appreciate that. Um, I, I just tell our audience that uh, Truck Tech will be on the road next week at Manifest in Las Vegas. Uh, join us when our guests will be Mike Placentia from Rider System and Sam Saad from Gaddick. Uh, we will talk about how Rider is integrating with autonomous trucking to take on some of the tasks uh, where the startups really need help. And we'll also have, hopefully, some, some news out of Manifest to share at the top of the show. Everyone, thank you very much for being here. Come back. You can watch us on your podcast, your favorite podcast. And uh, thanks for being here. Have a great week.